the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. Well, this is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministries here at KGNW, and we have the opportunity every week to join you as we share the heart of the city. The heart of the city is a program that that shares with pastors, ministry leaders, and business leaders in the area. And I like to say we like to talk about the faithfulness of God. Uh, we share our stories, but within the stories comes the realization that God has worked in our lives to do his good work and his good way, will, and that he is, uh, he's been faithful throughout our whole life, and that the stories that we hear week after week just uh, just reveal that ongoingly, where uh, people go through ups and downs and trials and tribulations, but yet through it all, God has been faithful. And so today, I'd like you to hear the story of Susan Carter. Susan is a, um, a managing partner and fully licensed securities rep with um, SC Financial, and uh, welcome today, Susan. Good to be here. Well, uh, we've just had the opportunity to, to meet. You've been on the station here. You've got a radio program here on the station for a couple of years now. You and uh, Shane? We do, yes. It's called Retirement Freedom, and uh, it's on every Saturday at 10. Yeah, so if you, uh, if you uh, need financial advice and, and uh, some financial thought, uh, uh, Shane and Susan are on every week and they take your questions and we do. Give, give great advice so i encourage you to do that as a listener 10 o'clock every saturday on kgnw so susan um how long have you been in the financial services industry about 20 years total um licensed in securities for the past uh 12 now mm -hmm. so uh been around for a while yeah yeah, yeah. well and and you were explaining to me that because you're fully licensed, uh, what does that actually mean? That means that we have um, everyone in our office who works directly with clients are fully licensed. That gives us the opportunity to, and we are an independent firm as well, meaning that we do not have any um, allegiance to any particular security or insurance product. Um, we are completely independent we have the ability to work with our clients on either on a brokerage basis, which is on a commissionable basis, or on a fee basis. Mm -hmm. And the standard for the fee basis is that you must be a fiduciary. You must act in the best interest of the client, and you must take time to get to know that client. So when we started our firm, we decided we're not going to distinguish because we don't know what mix will be good for each individual person. We decided we would uh, do that for all clients. So we offer our services on an open door basis. We believe, and we have this as part of our um, our mission, that anyone who comes to our office has been 
has been uh, brought there for a reason, whether they become our client or not. So we act as a fiduciary with everyone. We do a nice, long disclosure process. Sometimes people do end up picking some commission products, but that's because what they need is in mm -hmm. their best interest. Mm -hmm. It's usually a blend. So we like that independence and that ability to work um, truly in the client's best interest. Yeah. Well, we'd want to hear your story, and so and and uh, so let's go back. Uh, I always do this almost every week because really people's stories start at the beginning. Did you <laughs> grow? Did you uh, grow up around here? Are I you did. From this area, so I high did. school in this area, Renton High School. Really? Yes. Yeah. In the in the seventies, <laughs> <laughs> giving my age away. Yeah, here. that's all right. That's all right. So you you had family here, and I did. And, uh, uh, my grandfather, uh, great grandfather, came over from Norway and founded a little town in uh, the Kitsap Peninsula called Hansville. I think they call it Hansville now. And uh, my grandparents uh, came over here to Seattle as young married couple and started a sandblasting company that was right where the Space Needle is now. So yeah, our, my roots go back a little ways. Wow, wow. So what was life like for you in, in Renton? Uh, were you involved in Lots of school activities in high school. Were a cheerleader, anything, or just a student? Just uh, I was kind of an odd duck. I went through. Um, I I was a um, eager to grow up young lady. Ah, okay. Um, very eager. My family life was a little bit hard, uh -huh. and it motivated me to try and get out early. Uh -huh. um, I love my parents. There's been a ton of healing over the years, and we have a great relationship. But, it, you know, I probably wasn't the easiest teenager, and let's just say that there were fireworks. Uh, I understand. So well, I got a job downtown Seattle when I was in 10th grade and um, got um, graduated from high school early um, and was out on my own living in an apartment in Ballard when I was 17. So <laughs> I, I, I got to ask this. Are you firstborn? No, I was fourthborn. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that wasn't the firstborn phenomena. You oh, were, no. You were the... You were the young one, and you right. were... Right. I was a little bit feisty. Yeah. Well, yeah. the 70s, 60s and 70s were a little bit different. I mean, that's when I grew up and was in high school. So yeah. those times, uh, well, as a young person, you could actually find work and almost get by on your own, unlike it you is could. today, yeah. you know. And um, it was a little bit easier than it than it than it was, but yet you went out and struck out on your own pretty early. I did, and I look back on it now, and I realize that um, even though I thought I was really doing it on my own, in the years that came ahead, my parents were actually always there, mm. just a little behind, watching, and um, there to help me. Yeah, I it didn't really come to appreciate that till I was in my 30s. Well, uh, yeah, and that's usually what happens, isn't it, yeah. with, with all of us, I see. We get humbled. Yeah, we do, <laughs> especially when we start having our own children. Yes. And we start seeing what, our, what we put our parents through. Right. And uh, I always tell this story quickly. Um, my daughter, as she's raised her teenage kids, you know, she'll call me periodically and and she'll just say, Dad, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> she <Exactly>. will. <laughs> and, I, and I laugh and I say, I know you're sorry. I know. I understand. But, April, you're still going to go through this. It's mm -hmm. just because you're sorry you put us through this doesn't mean that you're not going to go through it as well. So true. It, it is so true. <laughs> yeah, with, I've raised two boys and I know what you mean. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, so out of those years and um, striking out on your own, uh, what happened next? Where did you go from there? 
Well, I was the first in my family to graduate from college, so I was I set big goals for myself, and uh, was really proud to do that. Um, I had this burning mission in me that I wanted to make the world better for for people who were I would call the victims. So at first, I thought I was going to be a counselor, and my college professor took me to the side and said, "This is not a good choice for you." And I so am thankful for that. Mm. Uh, knew me very well and said, you are someone who wants to be out making solutions. And you don't have the ability to sit in a back office being a social worker. You're going to mm. get very impatient. You don't want to change the world one person at a time. I suggest you get a degree in more business. And if you want to work in the public sector, great. But I think you should, you should really look at that. And that was a pivotal point in mm. my third year of college. Um, I actually did follow his advice and in the end um, got that degree, worked in the private sector for a while, and then did end up working in government in public policy. Well, tell me about that a little bit. I uh, got a job first in uh, Thurston County and worked there for about six years and then came up and worked in King County for quite a few years uh, working in human services and uh, started out working in the mental health area and uh, actually was very involved in the uh, deinstitutionalization and the new laws back then of moving people out into the community. Um, regrettably now as I look at that and where the, the health, I still have a heart for the mentally ill and mm -hmm. it, it concerns me how many of them have been abandoned to the mm -hmm. streets. I don't think that we did them a kindness. Um, so some of the things that I got involved with uh, in the programs were wonderful successes. Um, I loved my years at King County. I particularly was touched by my chance to work with Norm Mailing, who was our prosecutor here for many years, and developing programs for uh, victims of domestic violence. The goal being to get them to not back down in court, but instead bring the community ac ad advocates in and encourage them to know that they had options. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot I was proud of in that, but there, you know, I, I think I evolved and grew through those years in seeing that really people do best and when they have to face their own problems. Mm -hmm. And the programs that we had the best success with really helped people with a hand up but did not create dependency. So let's just say my politics changed and my attitude changed as I actually got to try some of my great idealistic thoughts. Um, it's kind of an honor to be able to do that, but was very happy with those years. Yeah, yeah. Well, talk to me about, uh, as we as we progress forward yeah. here, about your, your own uh, spiritual formation, your walk, or, or your, your family, were you part of a church, a faith well, community at all? I was thinking about that this morning, and uh, my first faith com uh, community, I think, was really, to be honest with you, was just daycare for my parents. My grandmother was a Methodist, mm -hmm. and she was um, adamant that we go to Sunday school, and I think my folks went, wow, we get the morning off. <laughs> 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 so I was baptized as a little girl, uh -huh. and I went to Sunday school. I remember um, being kind of uh, feeling lonely in that because I didn't have anybody at home mm -hmm. who really... I could bring my questions to and um, just fell away from it as I went into my um, late grade school years. Then um, 
my best friend Sally talked me into going to the Baptist church with her, and her fam family was really involved in that. And I just fell in love with that community mm -hmm. um, and um, was rebaptized into the faith on my own choice as wow. a teenager. Mm. How, um, did you, well, how did your parents see that? Well, I was sure that they were. I was going to. I was going to convince them that they needed to be saved. Right. And they just sort of smiled at me and nodded and kind of patronized me. Um, mm -hmm. I remember I played guitar and I invited them to come to the um, the youth nights and watching my parents sitting in the audience while I sang this song to them mm -hmm. about faith and my my dad just kind of looking at my mom and I'm like this is just not working. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I and, it, and it's sort of a funny thing um, because now my parents are in their um, late 80s and my mother's going into Alzheimer's. Mm. Um, and we lost my, my younger sister a couple of years ago, uh, very tragically. And Pam was a woman of great faith but of great trouble too. And while she was living with my parents and struggling with addiction, mm -hmm. she did nothing but talk to them about her faith. Wow. And so now... I have my wish. Now I have an open conversation with my parents. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, some things just take a long time. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's kind of the premise of our program is that we look through the seasons of life. We and do. And especially as we get older. And, you know, I'm 61 now. And, I, and so I start to see those seasons a little bit clearer now. And recognize that through it all, the Lord has been working in, in the Sometimes in the foreground, sometimes in the background, but is still always there with us, helping to lead and guide and bring comfort to us through the various issues of our life. Oh, I truly believe I would yeah. not be here other than for his desire for me to be here. Exactly. And as part of that, you uh, went through a struggle physically. I did. Um, about four years ago now, uh, three and a half years ago, I guess, uh, my son had just graduated from college and he had been interning with our firm for a couple of summers my business partner wanted to bring him into the firm really liked him and I said great as long as he's your employee mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so I was very excited about Alex coming to work and he texted me and said I'm picking up my diploma and I was I, I was really excited that he was on his way home from Oregon and he was done and it was the same day that I went in for a mammogram, my routine one. And for some odd reason, this thought went through my mind as I was reading his text. Wouldn't it be weird if I found out I had cancer? Mm. And I was like, where did that thought come from? And I went in for my mammogram. And um, as it turned out, to make the story short, in a period of about five days, my, um, my doc, who's an amazing woman, um, quickly diagnosed it, brought me back in, rescreened, re did a ultrasound, the next day scheduled me for a, um, a uh, needle biopsy, mm -hmm. and within two days of that, had the lab results back for me and said, it is indeed breast cancer, and had already helped me find a surgeon. So I went in a five-day period from not knowing I had cancer to sitting in the surgeon's office discussing what the surgery was going to look like. Didn't give me a lot of time to process no, it. No, I was going to say, what was the f what's the first feeling? I mean, when the doctor says you have breast cancer, what, what's the first flash of that goes through your mind? 
Well, she sat with me, which mm -hmm. was wonderful, and she helped me to kind of process it, and that was so helpful to me. She didn't allow my fears to get really running, um, and she really placed it into perspective for me right away. So right, the first thought I had was, I'm so grateful that I am with this doctor. I am so grateful um, for the way that this is occurring. Mm -hmm. And I found that just so comforting. Um, when I went home and had to tell my husband, mm -hmm. that was tougher. Um, ben, because he's an analyze until you drop kind of a guy, you know, and I said, and she said, don't get on the computer as he's running to his computer. Right. <laughs> so then the fear starts to come um, because until you get through the actual surgery, you don't really know um, the extent of the cancer. They said that they thought it was a stage one and that they had caught it early, but it was very close to a lymph node and they needed to really get through that surgery. So when I went under for my surgery, I really didn't know what I was dealing with mm -hmm. yet. Um, that was tough, but I was already starting to get calm by then. Um, it was a strange, um, people kept looking at me and saying, are you, why are you okay? And I, I looked back on it and I realized that I was, it came about that first weekend before we knew much when I was laying in bed next to my husband, wide awake and thinking, what an odd thing. I feel normal. Mm. My body is now at war with me and wants to kill me. And I didn't even know it. Mm. And I can't get out of this body. Mm -hmm. And I was starting to worry a little. And then I, I contemplated and I thought, well, let's just do this thing that I often do. What's the worst thing that could happen? And I said to myself, well, I could die. And then I thought, no, that's really not the worst thing that could happen. And I really because I realized that I was, I was in a conversation with God at that point. And what he was showing me was that this life, we all are going to die. So I was like, well, you're nothing special. Right. We're all going to die. You know, mm -hmm. you just, this just might be the thing that it is. Mm -hmm. And that made me kind of laugh. You know, it kind of humbled me a little. And then I thought, you know, this, this life isn't all it is. And if I get to die, and I realize that's a privilege, I'm going to be okay. So why get upset about the question of am I going to die or not? So I set that aside, and I, I w really immediately had this deep, deep peace mm. that came from that. And it allowed me then to say, okay, then what is the worst thing that could happen from this? And I realized that it could be that if I didn't handle this properly, that I could really disrupt a lot of the people who I really love. And so... I cared very deeply about how my husband and my children took this and my business partner. And we all sat and had a very frank talk, and we became a family. Mm -hmm. um, my business partner was a part of that, right with my husband and my son. And they just said, from this point forward, this is why we formed this firm. We, we stand up for one another. So you get to stand down now and fight this disease and do what you need to do. And it was like the Lord had brought Alex into the firm in the most perfect of times uh, because here he was, this young man who needed to learn quickly his trade. Mm -hmm. And I was out of the picture. So God, in a way, gave him the room he needed to build his own broad shoulders. And Shane had to learn 
to trust and depend upon him. So by the time I was well, there was a very healthy practice mm. that was handling things. So God also showed me that, you, you know what? It's, the world will go on without us. We aren't that critically important. But, um, and that's a good thing to remember because mm-hmm. that keeps our egos in check. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're listening to Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, and with me today is Susan Carter with uh, SC Financial sharing her story. So uh, how long did that whole process take as far as from the first week that you found out and through surgery and all of that? Well, I found out um, in late June, and we had the surgery in uh, about three weeks later, close to my birthday in July. And then we had to he- I had to heal from that. Um, started my I had to go to chemo from there and uh, did my chemo throughout the fall. And then they gave me, um, I think, a week break. And I had to start my radiation. Wow. And I went in for radiation daily. Um, and that was my, um, my Christmas and New Year in January. Um, once we got through all of that, then I had to go back and do a once-a-month chemo for another year. So the type of cancer I had was a very aggressive type of cancer that could easily jump to other parts of the body. I was so lucky that they caught it at stage one. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I credit my doc's office because she is uh, a bulldog about making sure you come in on schedule for your annual exams. So, And, and s- someone had, had told me, go see this doc. She's wonderful. So I look back at it all, and, I, and that's why I say I really wouldn't be here if the Lord didn't want mm-hmm. me here. I look mm-hmm. at all of that. It was quite a year. It beat, beat me up bad. Um, I'm still actually rebuilding my body, mm-hmm. but um, I'm so thankful to have it. <laughs> yeah. Well, what would you say, uh, obviously, as someone who's gone through this battle? Now, do uh, do they say that it's all gone? Do they, they do. give you a, t- a time frame to where they can say it's in remission, it, or how, do th- how does that work? In this situation, I was really shocked. Um, my oncologist retired in the middle of my chemo, And they brought in a consulting oncologist out of Oregon who specializes only in breast cancer. So she did my exit interview with me at the end, and boy, did she know her stuff. And she told me if I had had this type of cancer even 10 years ago, it would have been the worst prognosis, you know, because it was a very aggressive form. She said the good news is because of the treatments and the drugs that we have now, I think you can consider yourself cancer-free. Wow. And I, I didn't expect to hear that. Mm-hmm. So I I take good care of myself. Um, that doesn't, you know, I know that, that it could, what the uh, doc said is if you got cancer again, it probably wouldn't be this form. Interesting. Yeah. So for those that are listening today, maybe there's some some uh, men that are listening whose wives are going through this or a, a woman who, who may have just mm-hmm. gotten notice or is in the process, what would you say to them? From your experience? It's a time in which you really have to get honest with yourself. You have to know how you receive support, what works for you and what doesn't. And you have to go to the people who you love and trust and tell them that. And then have them help you make sure that you are surrounded with the kind of help and the kind of people that really work for you. 
A lot of people mean well, but this is not the time to be thinking about hurting other people's feelings. Mm. It's a time in which you really have to put yourself first. Um, by doing that, though, you free up people to have honest conversations with you and genuinely help you. You can turn it into a transformative experience in which you can really hear your own voice, hear the voice of God, and get the kind of help you need and come out of it a stronger person. Well, it, it seems um, that that honest conversation, that's my takeaway from hearing your story is having that support group where you're able to have, talk about death, talk about life, talk about the process you're going through and how important that is, isn't it? It's so important. Yeah. And I urge every, per every person listening, never forget to get that annual exam. I have to bug my wife every, every year. I tell her, you know, and, and she does it, which I'm so glad for. But, Susan, I want to uh, thank you for joining us today. If you want to reach out to Susan Carter with SC Financial Group, you can go to scfinancialgroup.com. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Susan, for being here today. Thank you. You've been listening to this KGNW special, Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on KGNW, Call Chuck Olmsted at 206-269-6216 or go to KGNW.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>